This is Blue Moon. It's the original fan-made Manchester City podcast. Coming up, we've got news and views from City's Week. It's your club, and this is your show. Well, just when you thought the blip was over, along comes Manchester City to remind you that you can never actually relax. Two goals to the good against Crystal Palace and absolutely cruising, and suddenly the run extends to just one win in the last six Premier League games. You've got to go back to March 2016 to find the last time that happened. But at least Pep Guardiola's side have made it through to the Club World Cup final on Friday. We'll look ahead to the game with Fluminense and the return of Premier League action as City go to Goodison Park after Christmas. At least Everton haven't suddenly found some good form. Oh, yeah, right, OK. We'll speak to the Blue Room's David Downey a little later on to find out why things have improved for them. Then this week we celebrated a special City anniversary. On Tuesday, it was 25 years since the infamous defeat at York, what's widely considered to be City's lowest point. On today's Blue Moon podcast, we'll hear from a load of the players who were in that squad, plus the City fan who was the mascot at Bootham Crescent that day. Stay tuned for that. That is all to come. I'm David Mooney. With me this week is City fan Richard Burns. Hello, David. And one football, Stan Burke. Hello, lads. Season's greetings. Season's greetings, indeed. Richard, season's greetings. You well? Uh, season's greetings. Yes, I am. Thank you. Are you, David? Uh, season's greetings. I am. Yes, there we are. <laughs> Good tidings to all men <laughs> and women. God uh, bless us, everyone. Uh, yeah. Um, we're going to talk about your... Uh, while we're having a bit of a laugh at the start of the show, we're going to talk about York away a bit later on. Is there any anniversary from City's history that uh, isn't remembered that absolutely should be, Richard? Anything for you that stands out? The anniversary of Wilfred Bonney tweeting good three points. <laughs> <laughs> should be a, a national holiday. Kieran Murray does his best to remember that every <laughs> single time City win. We haven't seen it a lot lately, but you know. <laughs> yeah, Dan, any for you? Any anniversaries that should be remembered that aren't? The first one that springs to mind is uh, Cass Verdict Day. Was, um, <laughs> yes. That was one of my favourite ever days as a City fan. We didn't even play a match. It was yeah. just wonderful, wasn't it, from start to finish. Um, who knows, maybe we'll get another one like it next year. <laughs> yeah, well, keep rack up the charges, I say. Keep giving <laughs> yeah. us these days in court, yeah. And also with uh, sort of the York away theme, the one that often gets overlooked is the uh, the Mansfield Auto Windscreens Shield game. Oh, at yeah. Road. What was it? The uh, I'd read like a Where Are They Now athletic long read about the, uh, what was it, 3,007 people that turned up for that one yeah that was it was it 3000 were you among them i was not no were you not richard you i took joe roll's advice and stayed at home <laughs> he did he did say don't come didn't he yeah oh i've forgotten all about that um yeah I, I i didn't go i think i'd wanted to but i i it would have been my dad that i would have gone with and i'm pretty sure he was working away that night so i watched it on tv and uh yeah i was glad i didn't go in the end Excellent. Can uh, if anybody that was there uh, is listening, get in touch with us. Uh, I'd love to know if uh, if you were one of the three thousand and seven. Um, let me read. I've got the team up. Let me read the team from uh, that game. Um, Tommy Wright was in goal. The, one of the defenders, S. Rimmer, Simon Rimmer, Stephen Rimmer. I don't know who that is. Simon Rimmer's a chef, isn't he? Is he? He is. Yes, he is. Uh, <laughs> um, Nick Fenton, uh, Tony Vaughan, Danny Tiato, Jamie Pollock, Michael Brown, Jeff Whitley, Neil Heaney, Gareth Taylor, Danny Olsop started the game. Actually, that for that for that season, that's not a bad side. Really, All the really. stars are here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, actually, no. I've I've made a mistake there. Uh, I've got Jay Whitley as starting, and Jay Whitley came off the bench. So both Jim and Jeff were involved but I don't know which kind of which started and which came off the bench because they're both just down as, as Jay Whitley um, and then Alan Bailey uh, came off the bench as well who I think scored for Stockport against City a few years later oh yeah that's right yeah yeah those were the wow. days eh yeah yeah 
<laughs> yeah. Well, not that anymore. Um, let's talk about some uh, some top of the table football. Uh, Tis the season for festive football and the best way to watch it if you can't get to the games down at your local Green King Sports pub, of course. After all, Christmas is a time to catch up with friends, old and new. So get the team to your local for pints, food and live action of every Christmas cracker. Each game from TNT, Sky and Amazon is live at Green King Sports. That includes Friday's game with Fluminense. And I'm going to go out on a limb and suggest that a kickoff on a Friday at 6pm would be good for a few finishing work. And also the midweek trip to Goodison Park next week as well. There's wall-to-wall action on their huge HD screens. Head to your local Green King and watch every winning goal, top bins, volley and dodgy VAR decision in an atmosphere worth sharing. Don't forget, download the Green King Sports app and you'll receive 10% off drinks every single time the sport's on the telly. Um... The, we can put it off no longer, fellas. We're going to have to talk about whatever happened against Crystal Palace. Um, and Dan, ahead of the game, you're on the show last week. Ahead of the game, we—I I must admit—I was feeling fairly confident that City mm. would just do it. And you know, we had quite a positive show last week, thinking about the same sort of thing. Um, that's now Palace, Spurs, Liverpool, Chelsea, where City have been leading really late on, and they haven't won any of them. Like, are you concerned by this now? I am, yeah, and I think it's hard to put a finger on what is going wrong because I think the circumstances in each game are quite different. You know, like Chelsea and Spurs were both sort of ding-dong games where at the end-to-end stuff, um, maybe a draw was a fair result in both of them, I'd say it probably was. Liverpool game, it was never over at 1-0 and ultimately I don't think we did enough to win anyway, so you take the one on the chin. The Palace one's definitely the most frustrating because of the level of the opposition and the fact it, it felt in the bag when Rico Lewis scored, didn't it? It felt like, oh, we've mm. got this one. We'll, we'll we'll see this out, no problem at all. You know, I'd probably include the Arsenal game in the same category as those ones as well in that, you know, we lost a nil-nil draw 1-0 that day and it, that was really annoying as well. I think you can point to individual errors as to why things are going wrong. You know, the D asking with the penalty away against Chelsea. Foden giving the ball away, then giving the penalty away against Palace. You know, the whole team are definitely switching off and not seeing games out in an intelligent way in, in the way that we've become accustomed to. And, you know, perhaps fatigue is a, is, is a factor. I feel like um, the game at the weekend, I can feel myself yearning for players like Riyad Mahrez, you know, who would sort of come on maybe in a, in a game where we're 2-0 up and get the third, the fourth goal, see yeah. it out. I don't feel like we've got that player in the squad anymore that's doing that for us. And, it's and really funny. A problem. Yeah, it's really funny you say that as well because people always used to criticise Mahrez for not scoring enough crucial goals. And now you yeah. look at it and like that third goal is actually really crucial, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, you know, maybe Gundogan was, was chipping in with them as well. Like the, the goals output is still really good. It's just we're not scoring goals in the right time in a weird way. Yeah. Richard, are you starting to sense that anxiety creeping in because this sort of thing keeps happening, if you know what I mean? Like, like they were they were absolutely cruising against Palace and then they go to, they, it goes to 2-1 with about 15 minutes to go. And then like everywhere, the players, the fans, everyone was just like, well, better not happen again, had it? Yeah, massively. I think like last season, or well, more specifically the the back end of last season, if we'd have conceded a um, a goal at two 0 up, then I, I think this kind of situation where I would have found myself thinking, well, not ideal, but it wouldn't have particularly had me worried that um, that we were going to drop the points. Like I'd have sort of back City to just step it up a gear and and go and make sure or at least see it out, you know, and sort of think how defensively solid they were um, in the, the back end of last season. And now it, it's just that thing of everybody, um, th- there's mistakes creeping in individually. The team is um, is dropping off as a collective and we've lost that. I think there's, there's the other side of it where the psychological effect for the other team of knowing that City now have, them in, have this in them is that, 
it, they no longer feel invincible, do they? Because because they're not. So they're very, like they're very invincible at the moment. Yeah, they're very invincible. Yeah. So like <laughs> last last season to go one nil up from what March onwards felt like you'd won the game already, and teams would be understandably coming to the Etihad. And that, I suppose that's not even just last season. That's up until like almost the beginning of this month or end of November, teams would be coming to the Etihad knowing City's record there. And it's that thing, isn't it, of almost like being beaten before they go on the pitch. And all of a sudden, we're seeing the sort of chink in the armour. And you see Crystal Palace knowing that they've got, like at one goal, got one goal back at the Etihad, will suddenly feel naturally emboldened because they'll be able to point to other teams who have, rescued losing situations against City. And of course, you know, you can look and say all of those teams are higher profile, they're better teams than Crystal Palace. But the the point is what City are experiencing, it's like that that sheen and it is is just wearing off a little bit. And mm. and City must feel that. Jack Grealish spoke um last was it after the Madrid game last year? Um certainly in that that run at the end of the season when he said they don't feel like they can lose. And now it almost looks like they sort of forgotten that they can win. Yeah, they've ju- it's just getting over the line seems really hard at the minute. Um, how terminal do you think this last six weeks has been to the season, in your opinion, Dan? It's not, obviously you look at, at the setup of the table. They 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 don't play this weekend when everyone else plays, so it will look worse come what may. Um, but I mean, they're not that far off the top of the table. They have had a real sticky six weeks. It's a case of sort that out, and actually should be all right. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're five points off the top, so it's not massively terminal, is it? It's it's um, it's a surmountable lead, definitely. And it, at the same time, it's incredibly frustrating to be dropping silly points, and, and it can't go on because you know at some point it's gonna it's gonna get out of hand if we're not careful. Um, but at some point, we could also just click into our flow, and if that happens, you know, when it when it happens, um, will be a big big problem for other teams in the league. And, you know, it's eight, what is it, eight points dropped from winning positions since the last international break. And if we've yeah. not done that, we'd be top of the league. Like, I know that's a big if, but I just hope it's a bit of a wake-up call now because if, if they do snap out of this funk quickly, like, we can get back into the title race, no problem, and, and everyone will be uh, really fearful of us. Yeah. Um, I did let me talk with Sam Lee earlier this week, Richard, and um, we re-watched the final 30 minutes of the game and reacted to it as it was happening. And the reason was, like, during the game, both of us felt like the game had lulled, that City got too passive, they'd lost control of the game. Um, and actually, when you watch it back, it, it, it doesn't really feel like that in the cold light of day. Um, like Obviously, like go and have a listen to that, um, everybody who's listening to this, because you don't have to be a member to hear that bit. It was on the free feed as well. Um, and it really opened my eyes how just how wrong I felt about the end of the Palace game. City didn't allow Palace a chance to build any encouragement after their goal for 2-1. They didn't try and force it too much by attempting... Um, to to kind of just steamroll a palace towards the end of the game. But they were still attempting positive passes and like positive moves, trying to get in behind Palace and like all the time, but not force it. And there was absolutely no threat from Palace until the 91st minute. So all of that said, City won the stats, but they drew the game. So that there is still something wrong, isn't there, Richard? Yeah, and I think it um like it, I mean, clearly you've done um, much more work into trying to put your finger on it than than I've done, and I think that's a really interesting reflection. And it's really good to step back and, um, I guess, like rationalise how you feel watching a game, and then actually re- reflect on the reality. Yeah, and, and I, I just think when Guardiola watches it back, he'll he, he won't see that much wrong with it, you know. 
No, and he did say after the game, didn't he, about like they were um, they were really good and there were there were so many good actions and it you know it, it did seem fairly um, genuine. He didn't look like he was just protecting them, but obviously that that frustration is still there, dropping the points. But I think that that almost plays more to the fact that there is a problem because all of those things are, are true of City when they're at their best. And I think it speaks to that, you know, attempts to control games. But there's there's still something in that final bit of, whether it's decision-making, Dan mentioned earlier, like Foden losing the ball where he lost it. And then Silva, and I'll, I'll say I've not watched it back, so maybe this... Maybe it was the right decision at the time, but I think he tried his turn on the on the touchline that resulted in City losing the ball. And then Foden sort of, the attempted tackle was pretty wild in the box at, at such a crucial time of the game. And it's just, it all I, that's the stuff that feels like something's wrong. It's not mm. the, the, wider, the wider play. City is still an exceptional football team, but... Um, it's, it's those little moments that that weren't going wrong last season when they were really um, really in a in their best flow that now again it's just that they're not invincible and maybe it's just individual moments of panic or um, just just bad judgment that is still contributing to for you know for, for all those things that you've just said that are absolutely true they've still conceded two goals at home to Palace having had the points seemingly wrapped up yeah. Dan, does it does that suggest to you that there are no major issues to fix and it's only minor things, which actually could be quite an easy fix come the end of the season? Yeah, it does actually. I, I mean, perhaps it's an oversimplistic way of looking at it, but I, I think it's a much easier problem to solve than if we were conceding late goals and losing games or you know not scoring many goals. Like I said, we're, we're top scorers in the league. I think I said last week on the podcast that we're about 85% there and I think that game sort of proved my point in an annoying way on Saturday. I think it's if it's just the case of us saying, come on lads, we're pretty much winning games here let's redouble our effort shut up shop see them out in the final minutes that should be fairly easy to figure out I think but whether they will do that I don't know I mean a a lot of people are sort of expecting oh don't worry you know I think certainly our rivals in the title race are thinking City will go on this 15 match winning streak ultimately it'll be fine and I don't know if we are good enough to do that this season I don't know if we have the, the depth and the energy to do that Let's find out. Um, I hope they do, of course. But um, yeah, I think, you know, just just getting back to basics and just seeing these games out first and foremost is what we need to do. Yeah. Quick one, Dan. Um, foul on Bernardo at the end? I thought at the time it was. I think I was maybe clutching at straws. I think you've definitely seen them given, but I don't think you can expect to get a foul there. Yeah. Um, sometimes you get them, sometimes you don't. I mm-hmm. think we should have had it, but there we go. Um, let's talk about the, the game against Red Diamonds as well, because... Um, against who? Uh, Red Diamonds. Um, I knew no, you were going to you, you do this. I knew you were going to do this, because I can't say the first bit. Urawa, Urawa, Red Diamonds. See, well, again, well, I can't do let, it. Let me ask you a question then. When Sam Lee does you a favour, have you ever said to him, you are a Red Diamond? Uh, I haven't, <laughs> no. Because <laughs> that, that's an easy way to remember how to pronounce it, I think. Okay, you are a red diamond. There we go. Yeah. There we go. Okay, so thank you very much for bringing up the fact that I can't say it. Fine. Um, let's talk about that game. Um, Richard, I'm going to come to you because Dan's pissed me off. Um, <laughs> I, I was pretty sceptical about this, but um, I, I'm wondering if there are benefits to this to this Club World Cup at the moment, given that they are... They're competitive games in the sense of the club wants to win the tournament and wants to wants to do well um, against opposition that are a bit preseason friendly, like in a country where they're effectively having a warm wet weather kind of trip away for a bit. 
at a time when things are not going right for them domestically. So they can just kind of blow the cobwebs out and go and play some nice football somewhere else for a bit. Yeah, I I don't really see a downside other than, you know, I suppose you don't necessarily want to... um, have a situation where the postponed games, you know, become a problem later and um and, and have to be slotted in somewhere, which I don't think has been um has been sorted yet. That but we get that every season anyway for for one reason or another. So like other than that, I think it's all it's all upside. Like it's uh I agree with Pep's point that like it it's a privilege to be able to play in this competition. It might be like second rate in terms of trophies that you want to win. And I wouldn't miss it if it wasn't there, but you have to remember like why we're in this. And it's because we've just won the Champions League off the back of being one of the best teams in, in club football history. Like this is a club that, sorry, this is a competition that the likes of Real Madrid and Barcelona take seriously. Whenever they go there, they want to win it. So it's certainly not too good for Manchester City. And and then, like, yeah, the opponents might not be um, might not be the best. I'll level with you, and I know you've again put the work in, David. I don't know loads about uh, about Fluminense, or if I'm even saying that right. Um, <laughs> like uh, Fluminense, is that right? Honestly, mate, I'm not the person to ask for pronunciations, really. Am I? <laughs> Dan, any tips? Um, have you ever asked Sam? Like, no. Um. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I, th- I think it's. To be able to go and play a game that wasn't the most intense, but get a, a 3-0 win under our belts, I think you could see from the players' celebrations, they clearly don't regard it as the, the most important or most difficult game that they're going to play this season. But if you're in it, you might as well try and win it. If we don't, then okay, it'll be... Mickey Mouse novelty. Cup, wouldn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah but like, no, no, it's like the Super League. Uh, sorry, not the Super League, the Super Cup or the Charity Shield. Like, if, if you're going to play it, you might as well try and win it. If you're going to sit down and watch it, you might as well want your team to win. And if you lose it, then it's not going to ruin anybody's weekend, is it? It's just a, it's, there's a nice novelty to being to being in it. It's it's hard earned, and there's a reason that we're in it that we should be very, very happy with and, and, and should be really proud of. Um, or, you know, at least the players should be proud of for, for how they've got there. And after that, I agree with everything that you've said. It's a good chance to get away from a more intense Christmas schedule and, and play some hopefully lighter touch games and, and just build a bit of a bit of confidence back in and get some flow back into in you know get some rhythm back. Yeah. You never know. It might actually become the Super League as of next season given the, <laughs> well, the expansion yeah. plans to it. Yeah. yeah. Um Dan, there were a few standout players uh, from the game and I know we have to kind of analyze it with the the level of the opposition uh, taken into account. Um but for a, a player who has come in and Kind of had a had a slow start to his city career. I thought Matthias Nunes was was pretty good, and uh, Kovacic got himself on the score sheet. Something that he's been desperate to do all season. Mm, yeah, yeah. Nunes, I think he has been underwhelming so far, and obviously he's missed some time with injury, which hasn't helped. But I also think we are being a little bit harsh on him, um, and he deserves a bit more patience. You know, he's not a Kevin De Bruyne replacement, and shouldn't be considered one. That that was not what he was brought to the club to be. He's been brought in to do a different role, and you know, ball carrying is not a very glamorous role but perhaps quite an important role and I think you know if Pep has identified him as a player that can be useful to us then we should trust Pep in that regard and I'm sure there's a lot for Nunez to learn
concern and he's probably a little bit um you know shy at the moment or whatever not you know coming out of his shell a little bit tentative and you know give him a chance he might be all right or he might be complete shit i think it's just too early <laughs> to say really mm. and um yeah with kovacic i guess he's kind of in the same boat maybe he's a little bit further along in his development than nunez um, as a city player it was really nice to see him get that goal i thought it was a bit a bit gundogan-esque um the thing that a lot of people say about Kovacic is that oh he's not he's not Gundogan you know what we, we we've downgraded him massively there and I, I tend to agree but I also um, think that it's interesting that Gundogan is only really remembered for all the great games he had and the big goals he scored because for me I think there was a lot of games where he didn't do an awful lot and I found him quite frustrating and, and underwhelming sometimes too especially sort of in the the early years and obviously Gundogan earned his legacy over time and and should be remembered as as one of the one of the greats but you know I think. We can also take from that that Kovacic and Nunez deserve time and patience too. And it's only December; <laughs> they yeah. only joined in the summer. You know, people are expecting a lot, a lot from them quite too soon, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, speaking of uh, expecting too much too soon, um, let's go back to when City expected to blitz the league and they didn't. Um, earlier this week, it was the 25th anniversary of what's widely considered to be City's lowest ever point. On the 19th of December 1998, City travelled to York in Division 2, what's now known as League 1. And defeat that afternoon left them in 12th in the table. And while they'd been lower earlier in the season, this was further from the promotion places points-wise than the fans ever expected to be. Here's a look at the year. It really was an unhappy Christmas. The 1998-99 season was supposed to be easy. The club is and was too big for the second division and, and everybody expected us to, to come straight back up and I think even the players they, they, they thought it would be easy to, uh, to be champions but uh, it, 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 it was very difficult and, and we, we, we got out but we should have been uh, champions or se- uh, second, uh, second place to go automatically up. But uh, yeah, we did it the hard way. That's defender Gerard Vikins. He'd joined City at the beginning of the season before, expecting to challenge for promotion back to the Premier League. It all went wrong. The club were instead relegated to Division 2, what's now known as League 1. And what he says is true. Many of us were expecting City to bounce back easily and quickly. Defender Lee Crooks remembers it the same way. Being such a big club like Man City and then getting relegated two seasons on trot, not really good news, so we knew the pressure was going to be on it. But every time we you know we had teams coming to Main Road, it was like an FA Cup final for you know for them to come to Main Road. So I think more or less their game plan was to try and keep us quiet for 20 minutes, hoping that the crowd would get on our backs and then it'd all you know go to ratchet really. Like, but but yeah, it was uh, it was pretty hard and it was it was an hard season uh, down in Division Two. Yeah, definitely, especially the first half season. We were really struggling. And it's the same story for Richard Edgill. It was difficult because I think we were getting a lot of stick as well because of the results. We weren't beating teams as comfortably as probably the fans would have liked, so we were getting a lot of stick um, off our own fans as well as the away fans as well. So it was it was difficult to say. I think we just wanted to get on a, a good run and... Um, Put a few good results together. After beating Blackpool on the opening day, City lost to Fulham and drew with Wrexham and Notts County. After four games, they were 14th. They've never been lower in the Football League pyramid. The form continued in much the same way too, and when City went to Bootham Crescent, they were winless in their last four games. Draws with Gillingham and Bristol Rovers at Main Road sandwiched a draw at Luton, all of which came off the back of a defeat at Wickham. After 21 games, City had won just seven and languished in ninth place. Then came York. 
Nicky Weaver was in goal. I remember going to York the week before Christmas when we lost 2-1 and we ended up being 12th at Christmas. Um, but then everything turned around. Uh, we signed Andy Morrison. Um, the goat started firing. And we had a really good, I think, so like, the last 23 games, we only lost maybe three, something like that. A lot of the players I've interviewed always focused on what happened next. Wrexham on Boxing Day is rightly considered a turning point. Here's midfielder Kevin Horlock. I think it was a way to, was it a way to Wrexham, I think it was. Boxing Day, I think I, I took a corner and Jared Viking scored. And then from that day, we went on just a mad run of winning games and it did look like we were going to sneak in and we didn't. And the worrying thing about that is... You get so close and then have that disappointment and it sometimes have a negative effect on you going into playoffs because you're on a low where someone that sneaked into the playoffs is in the high of getting there. Hollock's fellow midfielder Michael Brown says things were getting desperate behind the scenes. He outlines how it might have been different if City had also failed to beat Wrexham. Only years later did I find out that Joe Royal was going to be sacked after the end of that game. And... Uh, you know, I found out that it looked like it was, you know, the board were going to sack him, but we, we nicked through, and the rest was history. We managed to crack on and, and, and finally get to, um, to Wembley at an amazing day. However, the chairman at the time, David Bernstein, denies that they were considering sacking the manager. Either way, it underlines the pressure that the club was under, and the job that Royal and his team had to do. Bernstein says they were always planning to stick with the boss. First of all, the rumours are completely untrue. Um, uh, we had great confidence in, in Joe Royal. Uh, we seem to be do- well, it's one of those situations. We seem to be doing all the right things. We signed some some, some good players. Uh, we were appearing to do everything right, and yet the results weren't coming through at the time. Immediately after that York game, the winds did start to change. Not that anyone knew it at the time. Up next was Stoke at Main Road, another pivotal match. I remember we were 1-0 down at half-time and it was looking pretty desperate. And I think there was a big barley in the dressing room at half-time, as I understand it. I mean, I wasn't there. Um, and we came out and we won that game and then we never looked back after that. Losing 1-0 at half-time to Stoke, Paul Dickoff equalised with 25 minutes to go. The winning goal came late on and it was Gareth Taylor's first for the club. My debut was at Luton away and we drew 1-1. And... Um... You know, then, like I say, we, we had the, the Christmas period and the Wrexham game was a big game and I always remember it being a, a bog of a pitch. It was a hell of a downpour and it was unlikely the game would go ahead and it did and we, and we won that one and Gerald scored a good goal. And You know, the Stoke game was it was a big game because they were going for it as well that season and um, I'd, I'd had a goal disallowed just before I scored actually, which was a disappointment. But um, now I remember I was actually someone showed it to me on a video the other day, and it was Dickie who's gone down the left side, cut back in, put a great cross in, and I've got my first goal, which was which is a fantastic feeling. It's difficult to pinpoint exactly what changed. This is what Joe Royal told us about why the form improved. I think we came to terms with the division. We, we came to terms with every game at Main Road being the biggest game of the season for the visiting side in some ways more than their home game because Main Road was a stadium that they might never play on again, you know, there's certainly nothing that size. It was a hard division, it wasn't a great division. After defeat at York in December 1998, City lost only twice more in 24 games, winning 15 of them. It wasn't quite enough to sneak into the automatic promotion places, but it did give us that iconic playoff final against Gillingham. 
Whenever I've asked, Royal will never say that what he and the team achieved built a platform for the modern city, but he does agree that they put a support under the club when it was badly needed. The biggest consequence, of course, is the fans had stayed with us. Everywhere we went, we broke records with the away fans and the, the anomaly of sometimes you know, fans bringing more games to Main Road than they had for home games. You know, we were making a weekend of it in Manchester and going to the theatre and enjoying the big stadium, bring the wife, bring the kids. And uh, th- th- there we were, you know. The, I, I don't know that the fans would have stayed with us another season, to that extent. I like to think that they would. And I, I always, always say, you know, that the City fans are the best in the business because no other club of their size has had to endure the pain and the anguish that they have and then they stood by it. Whether or not that, that would have gone into a second season, I don't know. Trips like that one to Bootham Crescent in December 1998 feel like only yesterday, but they also feel a world away from what's happening these days too. City have never been out of the Premier League now since their return in 2002. The Pep Guardiola era has been the most successful in the team's history, though we all know and understand the role that Sheikh Mansour's investment has played in that. There aren't many football fans who can say they've seen their club's best years and their lowest point in such a short space of time. Hi there, this is Joe Royal speaking. You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast and carry on doing so. Do you use a VPN? VPNs can keep you protected when you're working in public by hiding your IP address and allow you to use public Wi-Fi hotspots safely. You can use the internet freely in places that restrict access or censor content, and you can share files safely because your connection is encrypted. It's not just that you can browse safely too. With a VPN, you can access content from home while you're abroad, or you can use it while gaming to avoid attacks and things like bandwidth throttling. That's when your connection is intentionally slowed down. NordVPN is easy to use. You can connect with one click or you can turn on auto connection so that it does it automatically. There's almost 6,000 servers in 60 countries, so you can find a server near you for better speed or connect elsewhere to browse freely. You can also get NordVPN on every major platform, Windows, Android, iOS, Mac OS, and Linux. Even your Android TV supports NordVPN if you want it to. If you want to try it, then you can sign up at nordvpn.com forward slash blue moon and you'll get four extra months free as part of their Christmas deal. And you'll be helping out the Blue Moon podcast as well. You'll also have the Nord 30-day money-back guarantee, meaning you can try it at your leisure and if you're not satisfied in the first 30 days, you can get your money back. Head over to nordvpn.com forward slash blue moon for more details and to sign up for four extra months free if you enjoy the show please give it a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts so that was a look at one of the worst ever days to be a city fan us three had a pretty bad day that afternoon but let's speak to someone now whose day could possibly be considered even worse uh city fan dan mares joins us uh welcome to the show dan um Explain to us why that York game is is both good and bad for you. Well, it's good because it's the first proper game I remember because I was six years old. I'm from York, so getting to meet all the players on the day was fantastic. The actual experience was amazing. But when you look back now and you think, oh, that was the one of the lowest points of Man City's career and I was a mascot for that day, you're like, I can't believe it. Yeah, you were you were leading the team out. Um, who did you walk out with? Who was the, who was the captain that day? Oh, God. I've got a feeling it might have been someone like Jamie Pollock, would it have been? Yeah, That's I the... think it was Jamie Pollock. Yeah, it was, because 
when we did the warm up, he he let me join in the warm up as well. Yeah. So what 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 was what what was the entire experience like? You like you you you're there. You're leading the team out. You you you're obviously City are at a, like a pretty low point in their um their footballing kind of experience. Uh, but for you yourself, like like at six years old, everything must be great, mustn't it? Oh, of course it was. It's like no proud experience it, leading your team out. Even if it's against York City, wasn't a problem. It's like there's no prouder moment. I mean, mum and dad were in the crowd watching me. Uh, probably the best day of my dad's life as well, watching his uh, son lead the team out. And then, yeah, because it wasn't a great result, but it was still one of the best days I can remember. So what was happening during the game? Um, because like you've, you've led the team out, you've done the warm-up, the game's going on. Where, where are you then? Are you in, are you, did you get a seat in the in the stands or were you in like hospitality, anything like that? I, mean, I don't know what hospitality at York could look like, but, you know. I thought it was non-existent at York, but uh, <laughs> we went into the away ground, uh, away end, back with my mum and dad. But beforehand, you, you go through all the, into the changing rooms, you got all the signatures from the players, got to see the manager, talk to everybody, and then say, game kicks off, you go into the away and watch the game and don't enjoy it as much as you possibly could. But it was still a great day regardless. <laughs> yeah. Um, what was, uh, you say you're from York, what was school like then the, the next day? Had you, had you broken up for Christmas by this point? Did you not have to suffer the school uh, playground after oh. after losing at York? Oh, no. It, school was still roughed up. Don't get me wrong. Uh, school was rough for uh, all my life, but being a City fan, because <laughs> we got taken the mick out of by everybody. Newcastle fans, United fans, Arsenal fans. It didn't matter. Yeah, well, Dan, uh, thank you very much for uh, for joining us. It's um, it's obviously uh, I, I, I was going to say a painful day, but you'll have you'll I guess you'll have better memories of it than most of us will. Then, in that case, will you? Yeah, I mean, when people say to me who just bought it, I always say Man City, and they go, "Oh, you must have been a City fan since 2008." I go, "Oh, actually, no." I was a mascot against York City back in 1998-99 season. And yeah, there, there is literally photographic evidence of you at York away, isn't there? Yeah, I've never thought of it like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I always show that picture and go, oh, okay, well, we'll let you off then. <laughs> yeah, well, Dan, thank you very much for, for joining us. It's uh, it, it, Honestly, it's put it into perspective where, where I think of uh, where things were for City at the time. Oh, well... It wasn't great then. It's great now, so it's it's been worth going through it all. Lovely stuff. Dan, thanks very much. Thank you very much. Dan Mayers there, who was uh, City's mascot for uh, York Away, the trip to Booth and Crescent. Um, Richard, Dan, for, for us on this one, we're, we're slightly older than Dan. Um, what what are your memories of that game? Richard, where, where were you when, when everything was going to shit at York? So I think I was in Wales at my grandparents, and this is one of those things where I've... It's possibly a bit of a, um, like, misremembered. I definitely remember being at my grandparents in December when City lost an away game in Division 2. And so it's sort of in my head, I've absolutely just made it this game and, like, following the scores on teletext. Yeah. Which which would have been, like, wherever I was, I would have almost been certainly following the scores on teletext. And it was, like, a, a proper... This is one of those points where I, I would have been 10. It was my first year with a season ticket. And it, it, there was, I, I, like, that line of City's lowest ever point. Like, there was definitely that feeling to me of, like, <laughs> why is this my era? Like, why have, I, <laughs> why, have, why have I picked up a season ticket at the point where there was sort of, everybody had high hopes that they'd win the league, they were too big to be down there, and, and all that kind of stuff. And actually, it's just 
it's embarrassing and it's it seems to be getting worse and worse and worse um but in in a weird way it's one of those things that like if you're 10 and you're going through that and you still want to carry on going it, it just further cements you sort of, <laughs> like i'm in this for life already there's no there's no going back it's that, as happens to every football fan it's already got its hold on me yeah that sounds like stockholm syndrome to me though <laughs> well absolutely yeah yes yeah, so york syndrome york <laughs> syndrome for city fans yeah <laughs> uh dan where were you to be honest, I have no real memory of the game itself. I think I was a bit um, oblivious to the kind of scale of the situation at the time, which was probably a bit of a, a bit of a blessing looking back. I just knew that it was um, it was dire for City and not enjoyable to watch at all. I mean, I absolutely hated going to Main Road back then, mm. um, and you know, I'm not going to lie, I was very jealous of all the kids at school who supported United and what they were experiencing at the time, and you know, even like Arsenal were a team that I sort of looked at and was like, why can't my team play football like them? Why why have we got all these shite players playing on muddy pitches and, you know, Lincoln and York and places like that? And like, we, so, you know, my family never went to away games back then either. So I can't even relate to people saying how great it was to visit all these different grounds and all these different clubs. It was just um, a it was just, miserable it, time it, it, for me. It was me, just really. a string of new teams that came to Main Road yeah. and took points off us. Yeah. <laughs> and, and weirdly, you know, I am nostalgic for that time, but I think it's, a lot easier to look back on fondly at something like mm. that when you know what came after. Yeah. And I don't even mean just the 25 years afterwards, like just the playoff final that year was like a happy ending to a, a horror story, basically. And at the time, it wasn't enjoyable to live through. And I, I am quite sceptical of anyone who says it was, to, yeah. be, to be honest. I think that, that that's the key, isn't it? I mean, you say you don't, you didn't like going to Main Road at that time. Like, I think we when we look back at what Main Road was like at that time, it, like it's very easy to get wrapped up in that. Oh, it was great. The noise was fantastic, and it was really loud under the lights, mm. sort of thing. And it and it just wasn't. It was really loud, but it was really poisonous, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, and you look the support we got that season was obviously phenomenal for that level. You know, from the first game of the season against Blackpool, thirty odd thousand. It, it pretty much remained constant throughout the season, but it was quite poisonous and toxic, as you say. And you know, I'm sure there was there was fun to be had for those people who who went to away games, and you know, a lot of gallows humour. And I think that time was very character building for a lot of City fans of our generation. But yeah, it, it was a miserable time for the most part, and I think it should be remembered re- remembered as such. While at the same time being remembered as like a really interesting esoteric and you know quite comical <laughs> chapter in City's history and one of the big ironies for me is that the worst team we've ever had wore the best kit we've ever had <laughs> which are you, are you talking laser blue or are you talking the playoff I'm talking, final kit I'm talking laser blue yeah that yeah. playoff final kit is a monstrosity which has only been remembered fondly because of the playoff final I think absolutely hard agree on that one as well <laughs> um, Richard the, the other side of this is um, well the other side of this is that the laser blue kit was appalling well no it isn't that's what? just not true what are you talking about it's the wrong colour it's the wrong colour I'm honestly, I'm lost for words. Yeah, it's, so it's a, it's such a beautiful piece of city's history. The year we played in the wrong colour. <laughs> <laughs> we had a few years of laser blue. To be fair, well, it was our colour uh, for a while, wasn't it? It's not. It, it's not an appalling kit in of itself. It's just. It shouldn't. It's not a city kit. It's the wrong blue. I tell you, I tell you, that kit that they had a, a few years ago with the purple on the sleeves, that was the wrong kit because Correct. that, like, because yeah. you don't have purple on a city kit, but laser blue is like it's an iconic city color now. Bring it back, I yeah. No, 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 no. You, you it, can't beca- be it saying... became an iconic city color. That kit launched it. It was fantastic. Well, then I counter by saying Wembley '99 launched that kit as an iconic city <laughs> kit because why wouldn't it? Because of course you remember your kits by the occasions that they're worn and played in. I'm not saying that the Wembley 99 kit isn't an iconic kit. I'm saying it's hideous. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, um, <laughs> I mean, I, I won't argue as I, I like it. I won't argue as strongly um, on that point. The other one is not a secret. Fine. All right. Let's let, let's let's go back to <laughs> let, let, let's go back to things we can agree on. Then, in that case, um, what I was going to ask Richard is, um, it's I, I guess it's important to contextualize City's uh, era in the third tier. And you said yourself about uh, why is this my era sort of feeling that you were having. I mean, the first thing is. Like we look back on York as the lowest point, but at the time we didn't know it was the lowest point. Like at the time, it could have got lower. Like you, you just don't know where where things are going to go. So there's that. There was that trepidation at the time, but at the mm. same time, we have to look at that era of City as not being in keeping with what City are. I mean, like at the time, like City were were still one of the most successful clubs in England, and it was just like this. This was this was an anomaly in their history compared to where they'd been previously. Yeah, and I think. That's a really interesting point because I suppose to, I mean, I, I can't speak for you guys, but I definitely like, to me, there's almost a sense of, if I'm really honest, uh, this place to Dan's point, like I like in a way being able to view City's history as having had that low point because I, I like the context that it paints the modern era in and like the, the, the whole typical City thing, like, yeah, being in the third tier, isn't actually typical city, but I think it's the way that they got there. And it's that it plays into that whole cups for cock ups, bit of a laughing stock. People sort of liked city because they weren't United um, and had a bit of good, at least my memory of it was that like the wider football in public, like neutrals tend to have quite a, at the time had quite a positive feeling towards city because they were quite pitiful whilst United were, were not. And but yeah, that that isn't City's whole history. Um, Do you miss being liked it, like that? No, it's not. I don't. I, I don't necessarily miss being liked um, because it's sort of patronising, isn't it? Really, like to to, to be liked because you shit <laughs> is like what's the, what's the point in that? No, I there's there's loads of things that we've spoke about before and and inevitably will do again that isn't great about like the other side of. Um, the other side of City's success and other things that you have to swallow to accept that. But I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't trade it all just for being a bit more fondly regarded in mm. um, by neutrals. No, not at all. Yeah, the, the, I mean, I put the video up of York away on uh, Tuesday, Dan, when it was the anniversary, and um, you would be surprised of the number of uh, quote tweets and replies that I got uh, that said along the lines of "before oil money," <laughs> and like it just it just isn't true, is it? Like you look at you, like you look at where City were when they were taken over. Like they actually they got themselves out of that predicament as well. We we shouldn't forget like like some of my fondest childhood memories are City, you know, sorting themselves out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's true that, like, you know, I think a few people made the point on Twitter this week that that season was a blot on the graph of City's history rather than what is considered our rightful place. And I think we, as fans, confuse that a little bit as well. And, 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 I think the journey back to the top as a fan experience has been an incredible ride. I genuinely would not swap it with any other fan base in the entire world, what we've seen over the last 25 years. It's been so much fun and so, you know, unimaginable, really. And I think the York away stuff, we tend to use it, well, I certainly do, as a bit of a shield when people have a pop at the modern city and, you know, at the moment taunt us with the possibility of point deductions and relegations and all that. Like, 
it's our way of saying like there's nothing you can do to us that hasn't already been done oh and actually we enjoyed it last time so the joke's on you <laughs> yeah. like but it's just not true that is it like it's a coping mechanism that like if we get relegated back to the third tier or whatever it will be gutted it will be devastating i think we'd probably find the funny side quite quickly but i think the joke would wear off equally as quickly as well when the reality <laughs> sets in and you know all the good players leave and stuff you know maybe a year in the championship would be a bit of a laugh but like could you imagine having to go back to you know watching players like lee bradbury ever again it would be It'd be pretty horrible. And like, in a way, I identify more with that version of City than this current slick super club. But like, I think our rightful place is probably somewhere in the middle. We're probably a sort of middling Premier League club, if we're being honest with ourselves, aren't we really? Mm. And I do actually miss being liked. I miss that sense of authenticity authenticity that people associated with City and you know it's horrible to me to see that our reputation among other fans is like cheats and bought success and all this like I kind of wish it wasn't that way and often when people when you say to people now you're a City fan you get a weird look and I always have to get my key ring my 99 playoff final key ring out to be like I was there in the in the bad old days like I'm not one of these Johnny come lately's yeah. And does that stop the weird looks? No, I get even <laughs> more weird looks, if anything, but, you know, it makes me feel better. Yeah. Uh, a final thought on York away then in that case, because um, it's 25 years and I've done the, the typical thing of looking at uh, the worst point in City's history 25 years on. And when I went back to all my interviews with the 99 team, and went to get the clips for that for that feature. What I found was the majority of them didn't want to talk about it. They didn't talk about York. They talked about Wrexham. They talked about the, the Stoke game afterwards and the start of the turnaround. And I guess, Richard, that's what we should focus on, really. The fact that, you know, City may have been at the lowest point 25 years ago this week, but actually the, the good story in all of this is the way they got out of it. Yeah, and it's like, it, it's that idea of you you don't necessarily appreciate the good times without the bad times and, and that season like ju- just that season alone we had the really really bad first half of it where it seemed like everything was was going wrong and, and we might be stuck down there and then obviously like e- even if you extend that all the way to like the playoffs in their individual games we were behind in the first minute of the first leg of the playoff and it feels like everything's going wrong and then they come back and you have the great game at, um, or, the, or the great night at Main Road where we make it to Wembley and then obviously Wembley sort of Wem- speaks Wembley for itself happens, of, yeah. <laughs> like the, the absolute despair to elation um, and like you, I, I love that we have been and, and again I fully relate to like Dan's point of um, you, you wouldn't actually choose to go back there but of, of course I love that we were able to experience that and had to experience that because the the upside is so, so high. It's the same thing as 2012, isn't it? Like the, the Aguero goal, it would have been amazing to win the league in any circumstance. But if you win that game 6-0, then the thrill isn't quite the same as the as being on the brink of one of the biggest chokes in, in English football history. And and instead having one of the most iconic moments in Premier League history. Like it's it's an amazing way to do things. You just never choose it beforehand. There is a theme, isn't there, of of City's existence in our lifetimes of despair to elation in in such a short space of time, really. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Dan, any any favourite moments from the climb back up? Let's uh, let's look at the positives of the of the years that followed. The Royal Era, what are, what are your best bits? Well, Blackburn away the following season. I mean, that whole following season was pretty incredible, really, to see that we'd 
you know, we, we, we were, the Phoenix was rising again, wasn't it fully? And then obviously it's, uh, it sort of hit the glass ceiling quite quickly when it got back into the Premier League. But, um, yeah, like Blackburn away was, was just a fantastic day where it's like, wow, we're back in the Premier League two years after, after, uh, you know, being thrown down to division three was just uh, an amazing ride as well. Mm. Yeah, Mark Kennedy's goal that day is still my favourite goal of all time. Just is I can't I can't help it. Um, <laughs> and his celebration. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Joe Royal shouts at him as he's running at him. Joe Royal shouts at him, "You fucking beauty!" And he's absolutely spot on. Um, let's let's kind of change tack now because uh, we're going to talk about uh, City's coming games. Um, let's start with Fluminense. I never thought this would be a City fixture, um, and neither did the Brazilian journalist and Fluminense fan, Fred Caldera. I've been speaking to him to find out what he makes of Friday's game. I'm still getting used to this idea. It's something that I've never imagined it would happen. And I'm in an interesting position because by far, I'm the Fluminense fan that have watched City the most in the world. And I'm probably the only person that follows City they have they has watched more than two matches of Fluminense. <laughs> you were at the Libertadores final, weren't you? Yeah, it was was last month uh, on November when Fluminense won against Boca Juniors at Maracanã, and I was there in the stadium. I went to Rio just for the match, and yeah, that was the the biggest match of our history so far. And Friday might be the the new one. Yeah, what uh, what are you expecting from Friday? I mean, there's uh, as you say, you're you're the Fluminense fan that has seen City the most, um, and like like I'll be honest with you, I know absolutely nothing about the team other than I like the kit. Yeah. So um, other than other Thank than you. other than the nice kit, what can you tell us about uh, about Flu? Well, first, I think the first thing is to understand that the pressures on City. I know that. It's not a competition that maybe the majority of City fans like, um, and you can and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it might be more of a nuisance than something that you dream of. Um, but City are so far superior. They have, of course, Europe has way more money and conditions to buy the best players than South American clubs, including South American players. So the thing is, is it is uh, an unequal. Uh, match so City should win this I wouldn't say easily but without suffering too much but for me the interesting one about this match beyond the financial disparity is that Guardiola is well known by being the juego de posición the positional game and Fluminense manager is kind of the opposite of that yeah so there is this big debate now in Brazil that while Pep likes to move the ball, Fluminense likes to move the players, if that's how I could put it in a nutshell. Yeah, I was. I mean, I did a podcast with uh, Sam Lee earlier in the week, and he was telling me how he'd read that uh, the, the Fluminense style was... Um, I, I, the, the best way you could phrase it was kind of the anti-Guardiola, the, the complete opposite of Guardiola. Um, what, what do you expect is going to happen on Friday? I think they have more similarities than differences. Uh, that's why I don't think he's the anti-Guardiola. For example, he loves possession. So if you love possession, you must be close to Pep. Um, Fluminense is not like a Simeone, Atletico Madrid. He's not going to try to give the ball to City, but you know more than me that if you try to attack City, (laughs) 
you might be welcoming a four new uh, to city. Yeah. So uh, that that's that's for me the big dilemma because Fluminense doesn't is not used to have less possession in the South America environment, but of course they will have uh, less possession than City because City are not used to give the ball to the opponent. So I'm curious to see how Fluminense will try first to survive and second to hurt City. We do have fast, with, I say we, and you can say what side I'm in rooting for. Sorry, David. <laughs> but yeah, we do have uh, fast counterattacks. So that could create problems in the left side, especially if Vardio plays. Um, I don't know if you agree with me. He looks more vulnerable on that side. But um, again, I do think it's going to be fun to watch. But I don't know. City have 80 85% of uh, chance of winning. Yeah. Um, in terms of, of individual players, um, I, I, yeah. I, like one of those, it's, again, it's one of those things, you know, I haven't I haven't seen Fluminense play. So who, who are the players mm-hmm. that are uh, key to making it work for you? So I think the, 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 the key, the key, and, and that is something that is interesting because it could be similar to City as well. Uh, Rodri is the moving force, is the engine. And we have in that position our engine as well. He's called Andre. He's been playing for the national team now. He was under the radar of Liverpool last summer. Uh, Fulham, the, he might play in the Premier League in the second half of the season. We'll see if the offers will arrive this winter. So he is the the I don't know the the the, the one that makes the team moves around. Uh, but of course, we do have our number 10, Ganso. I don't know if you are familiar with him. He was uh, in Santos alongside Neymar when both of them were kids coming from Santos Academies. Academy, sorry. Um, for me, back in the day, I thought Ganso would be better than Neymar. And you see that I was wrong. <laughs> so Ganso didn't have a great career in Europe. But in Brazil, he has been regarded as the last classic number 10. And, and yes, he is slow, but he makes the ball move. So he is this kind of the invisible man. Another similarity with City. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we do have these these guys, and on the bench, this twelfth player called John Kennedy. Believe it or not, his dad used to love the U.S. and thought it was a good idea to name his son <laughs> as a former American president. Um, but yeah, he is brilliant. Really, 21 years years old, and he scored every knockout stage in Libertadores, including the the winning goal in the title. Um, he scored in the semi final of the Club World Cup, and he is brilliant. I think you will see that. Yeah. Um, obviously, we talked a bit earlier about, um, like you saying, Guardiola moved the ball and and uh, Fluminense like to move the players. Um, how yeah. how does that how does that manifest itself in in the course of the, of, uh, of games for Flu? Is it, it, it does it look a lot different to how we expect a kind of like a normal setup of a football match to look? If that makes sense, I think it does. I think I don't know. I can't see anyone doing something similar in the Premier League or in English football. It is weird. It is a risk and reward kind of thing, like Fluminense, because the way they 
are set up and the way the manager believes they had they have to play uh they do allow uh lots of counterattacks when they have the possession and they have the players uh, in, in in the in the opposition half uh they do uh have some spaces um defensive wise for example our left side we have marcelo former real madrid marcelo that is from our academy he's our left back and of course he's not young and and our left center back is 40 years old so in that gap there in that pocket uh Fluminense has one of their uh vulnerabilities but if you look like if you have the 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 the, the possibility of watching the game and seeing how the system works you see how different it is because the players they like to merge so it's not um 11 players dividing the pitch on quarters and they have to fulfill their positions even though they've swapped within themselves and that's how pep loves our manager loves to congest in one side so many in 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 many situations you see that we try to build up with five six players within five meters of the pitch and slowly trying to create a stair kind of progression so it is something that i don't i don't i don't find anything similar with in england there could be there, there could be lots of space then for city here yes and that's that's what is making me a bit nervous but it's it's going to be fun and that that is how i'm facing this game like Fluminense has no pressure to win it because it's city come on it's the best team in the world it's the, the treble winners um and i think fluminense style suits city in a good way for city but it could also create problems because i don't know maybe this kind of stuff that fluminense does is could hurt city in a way i don't know because it's new maybe yeah something they've never faced before um well fred i'm i'm looking forward to it a lot um could you give us a score prediction for the charity bet a bit later on in the show um it's i i've got absolutely no idea where this could go so uh, over to you you're the one who's uh, who's most informed about this well um i'm going to embrace the fun so for two to manchester city You see stats pop up all the time about clubs and players, and you want to know that exact thing about City. There's an answer. StatCity.co.uk Want to find out all of the players who played alongside club legends like David Silva, Sergio Aguero or Vincent Company? Or maybe you'd like to know which team found it hardest to score past Joe Hart. You can find out City's record in every competition, at every stadium, and under every manager. Just go to statcity.co.uk and browse away. That's statcity.co.uk. Ad-free episodes are available on Patreon. Sign up at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. Fred Caldera talking to me about what to expect from Fluminense. Um, 
Richard, how keen are you? We talked earlier on about the about the, the status of the Club World Cup. Um, how keen are you to lift it at this stage now? They got to the final. You said before, they may as well, uh, if you're in it, you may as well try and win it. Um, but you look at, at what Fred says about the reaction in Brazil, if Fluminense win it, like thousands of people will greet them at the airport as you know, bring them home as... Um, like, like as huge champions, whereas if City win it, I kind of imagine they'll be like Elton John will be there. Yeah, yeah, they'll be, <laughs> <laughs> there's, that nobody's going to go to the airport for that, are they? Surely. No, I think it, it certainly feels lower stakes for City, and I wonder if some of that is, um, you know, we have such we we have like such a prestige attached to the Champions League that that feels like in Europe. Like once you've done that, you've already done the biggest thing that it's it's possible to do. And I do wonder whether in other continents, the idea of winning it almost means like surpassing or getting one over on what might what must feel at times. Uh, I'm I'm aware of even saying this because I don't want it to sound like I'm in any way devaluing the game in other continents. But there's the, the Champions League is marketed and European football and Premier League football is marketed around the world so, so well that for for clubs in like decent leagues in like historical, like, like countries with a really historical football pedigree, like to get one over on those teams that must be rammed down your throat all the time must feel like a really, really good thing as well and to go and almost... I, I can imagine that maybe it feels a little bit more like genuinely representing your continent than it does for European teams. And that's, I mean, that's a, a lot of supposition on my part and I might be talking absolute nonsense, but it's, um, I don't know. It it sounds plausible to me. And it's just not, it's not that prestigious here, is it? Yeah, well, the thing from Fred is, is ultimately you look at the resources that City have compared to the resources that Fluminense have. And it's like, it's it's so unbalanced that of course mm. they're not expected to win the game. So the, the expectation is that they won't win it. So if they do win it, wow. Yeah, and I guess the City is that like, maybe it won't feel as big because it almost feels like they should win it. They, they do go there, I think, as, as the best team. Um, as the best team in it have been regarded for a while, you know, for a good period as probably the best team in the world. So yeah, I can can definitely see that side of it. In in answer to the question of like, how much do I want to lift it? It'd be really nice to say City are world champions. Like that would be a cool thing to be able to say. And it might be, you know, maybe the club would send us another, uh, another medal to all wear personally as fans to to celebrate that as well. That'd be great. (laughs) But I don't. It won't ruin my night. I will. I will make my plans for Friday. My son will get a, a later bedtime and, and stuff like that to make sure that I can watch the game to the end. But um, if they lose it, you so know, be it. it'll be turn turn the TV off and on with on with my evening. Yeah. Um, speaking earlier, Dan, about uh, great kits, Fluminense. What a kit that is! I love that one. Yeah. So it's sort of like dark red and, and green, isn't it? Yeah. Quite Christmassy colours. Could that give them the edge? That's what I'm, I'm a bit worried about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But as a as a man who who clearly appreciates a good kit, unlike Richard, um, I, uh, I I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing this game because I like I, I just I want to see the kit in action. I think it, I think it looks great. Um, a different challenge for Guardiola this one because uh, when you listen to what Fred was saying about how they're likely to leave a lot of space um, but kind of press the ball quite intensely with lots of players at all times, like it, it could be quite interesting to see what Guardiola does with this. Yeah, I mean it's 
it's a weird one because it kind of feels like we're playing a preseason friendly or something, or like you know a, a during season friendly. It's it's kind of hard to get your head around it being a, a competitive game. I didn't see the game against there. Uh, you are a red diamonds the other night. Who, who was that? Sorry, you are a red diamond. I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, yeah. I, I, it was your accent or something. I couldn't quite. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, you know, like, like everything Richard said is right, and and the fact that we've gone there, you know, all all that way, we might as well go out all 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 out to win it and pick a strong team. And you know, I don't think. Pep has an awful lot of options to play with in terms of rotation. I don't think he's going to put any youngsters in. And, you know, I'm thinking like, you know, Kyle Walker could probably do with a rest, but if he's not getting a rest in the semi-final of the Club World Cup, then he's not going to get a rest in the final, surely. Um, equally, you know, we've got some important games in, in the league coming up and it wouldn't be surprised if Pep had, had one eye on them. I think that would be only smart, but yeah, I, I hope we win it. I mean, I'm not going to be that upset if we don't either. I'm just kind of looking forward to logging off for work on Friday and sitting in front of the telly with a glue vine and, and seeing us hopefully become uh, champions of the world. If I'm not mistaken, do you remember when United had to um, boycott the FA Cup that year to go into this competition? Didn't they get beat by a Brazilian team in it that year? I don't know. Yeah, I think so. I think Vasco yeah. da Gama, wasn't it, I think? So, you know, let's go one better than them, hopefully. That'll be a bit of, bit of motivation. Yeah. Uh, Dan, you mentioned Carl Walker there as well. What have you made of his uh, press conference this week, the comments that he made about um, uh, just like, basically defending himself, but also the, the recent record? I think it's fair enough. I think he's going to defend himself, isn't he? And I think, um, you know, the, the backlash against him recently has been a little strange because he's not done a great deal wrong for me. I think people are just sort of like trying to find the culprit for the for the problems and he's become a little bit of a, a whipping boy in that regard. That said, I, I would like to see him, you know, rotated out of the team a little bit. I would like to see us give a go again to the um, system that was so successful in the second half of last season when we had the sent the four centre backs and and Stone stepping into midfield as a, a sort of right back and, and you know maybe a Kanji and, and Diaz as the centre backs and you know I don't think that that role playing high up as a, a sort of winger really suits Walker that well and I don't really understand why he just keeps being played. But at the same time, you know, he's still a very good player and, you know, the captain this season. So um, I think people have been a bit harsh on him. Mm. Um, Let's turn our attention back to the Premier League because it's Everton after Christmas and it took me completely by surprise that we had to preview it on this show. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. It's what happens at this time of year. You forget what day it is and everything, don't you? Um, I've been speaking to David Downey from the Blue Room to find out how they're feeling about the season so far at Goodison. Yeah, it's been, well, it's unprecedented really, isn't it? And I don't really want to go too far into the 10-point deduction and things like that. But if you look at how we were going up to that point, um, it was it was looking really good. Um, we weren't exactly mid-table, but we weren't exactly uh, fighting for to stay in the Premier League at that point. It was it, it felt like there was growth coming from Dice. It felt like we got into a, a style of play that suited us. Um, by no means was it was it nice to watch, um, but it was really effective. Uh, the, I think the last win we had before that deduction came along was away at Crystal Palace. Um, and it was a real physical battle, which we seem we, we, it, it seems to affect us really well. And I think, and, and I admit, when when Dice came in initially, I was like, "This this is just not going to work." Um, you know, you know, we, we're going to go down here at some point. That's the last one after after Lampard and all of the fuss we've had over the last few years. And what he's done because I, I had a real stereotype against him for what he did at Burnley. Like watching Burnley was really hard, uh, regardless of when you watch them. Um, uh, you know, playing them away from home, it was just a, a, always a dreadful game. It always felt to me having him come in, having been sacked from there. I thought this this isn't just going to work. And um, what he's done, um, again, isn't isn't pretty to watch whatsoever. Um, but it's it's slowly turned into what 
what has been effective with the gang of players that we've got. Now, you look at that squad that we have right now, I think you'd look probably just about to half a dozen of that and think these guys are really good players. Um, they can they can keep the ball. Um, they they want to attack all the time. They want to get as close to Calvert-Lewin as they possibly can and play a number 10, all that sort of thing. Decent wingers. That that's really started to become an effect, and then lo and behold, we start we start the season. We lost our first four games of the season, and then automatically most of us are like, "Is the panic situation already?" But then again, it become to very really simple lineup that he used to come out with, and it worked. And it was so it, it was it, it was almost too simple for many people to to sit and watch, thinking, "Hang on, they couldn't get the head round the fact that we you know played a, a four four two or a four five one and." I can't imagine those players really told much about what they needed to do in training. And then it it started to work really effectively. Um, and yeah, I think there was a lot more confidence on Dice and, and things settled down as much as I've seen in the last few years. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting kind of how the season's gone because I was looking at uh, your Premier League results. So I've just taken the, the league form into into account here. Um, you mentioned the 10-point deduction. Obviously, you played United the the, the weekend after that happened. And um, it was a. I, I, I watched that game because I, I figured I figured there was a good chance the United could get a spanking in that. Um, and I thought you were unlucky in the way that it went. But then you look at that result in and around everything else. Like it's the only defeat since like the, the end of October. That's you know you've won four on the in, uh, on the run. Um, before that it was uh, you know one two and drawn one. So it's like you've, you've got one defeat there in. You know, a time when City have been drawing, 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 losing. So, like, you are you you are much more informed than City are right now. Um, the 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 allegation was that the the, the charges seem to have galvan, galvanized everybody, but I suspect that had already happened, had it? Yeah, I'd, I'd go along well with that. I think I'd agree that um, because, like I said, it was just after that win away at Palace where that come along. United, the first one, that that United game. It's interesting that you mentioned that. It was um, it, it was. Unprecedented, like I said, we're all, we're all turning up at Goodison thinking, what's this going to be? Like, how do we get out of this? We've gone to bottom or 19th, whatever it was, and then we're five points without, um, short of getting out of the relegation zone. But ironically, I say ironically, we've been doing this for the last three years. We're, we're used to it, just at not that, that stage of the season. Um, and, and like I said, the way in which we are playing, you look at, you look at the run of form there since that's happened. I think that. We're we're typically that kind of side who loves back against the wall. Um, when it comes to any alternative, i.e. the the quarterfinal of the League Cup, that's when Everton start to struggle. Um, no idea why, no idea how it's come about, but that that feels to me a tradition from our club for for many many years. Where and that that's a good decision as well. And you know, you you look at that run of form. Um, the, I think the last loss before that one against City uh, against United was uh, the derby as well. If you'd have told me the derby, then you lose one more when you get up to what? Well, pretty much Christmas Day. We play Spurs two days before Christmas Day. Um, I'd, I'd have been astonished by you saying that to me. Um, and goes back to Dice really once again. And I, I think when again when he came in. Um, when the, the way he talks, obviously, does everybody's head in anyway, doesn't it? But <laughs> I, didn't, I said, didn't want to say it, but yeah. Oh no, mate, no. I mean, it is. You, you just feel like running up to him and saying, "Please, mate, just cough. Just do one cough, and you'll be absolutely fine." Um, and there's there's a real simplicity about him. I think when he talks, and 
it's all straight back down the line. You're never going to get uh, a controversial uh, comment from him or anything like that. It's always, oh, you know, we played well. Uh, we deserve better. We've got a lot of injuries, you know, so, you know, that, that was the best we could do. All, all that sort of thing. And in, in sort of a, a long time, that's exactly what we've needed. It's, a, it's massively ironic, really. Yeah. I'm, I mean, we mentioned the form. Um, who's playing well at the moment? Or is it literally just everybody right now? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, I think that Jared Branthwaite has probably led as much as, as much better than anybody else has, um, because he's, it's funny that he's a centre back that's sort of galvanised everybody else around him. You'd, I don't think many many clubs would say that about players who play in that position, really, because they're obviously in a limited position where they can get the team moving forward and they can create chances and whatnot. It's more how well he handles things. He's, he's calm as you could imagine, um, the best of centre backs to be. I'd say he's he's been he's been superb. But in fact, alongside him has been Mikhailenko. He's been absolutely brilliant for quite some time now. Um, he epitomises the way in which the club's been, i.e. somebody who comes in who you know you don't think he's going to do well, you think he's got every battle in the world against him, yet he's the, the mentality on what he does, he's, he's, he's just ideal at left-back. He's He reminds me a little bit of Zinchenko that you guys had um, back, at that, back at that time where you'd think you know, he, he grew into... A position that you didn't necessarily think you were going to get the best from. He's somebody you bring in who you think, do you know what? He's probably on the bench. He'll probably come on after an hour in most games. He's just back up for whatever you've got a left back. All of a sudden now, um, he's he's been key to us actually scoring goals. He knows how to go forward. He knows how to track back. That that is pretty much an understatement of what else we've got on the other side with Ashley Young, who you know people would will pay him not to play for us again. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's it, it's it's funny who who stands up when you think necessarily you need a dominant midfielder, um, you need uh, a striker who's just going to bang the goals in. And I do think that there's that's slowly developed as well. Again, talking about Onana because of that penalty, he'll be at the bottom of many people's lists. Um, I, I think he's gone very high and low. And yeah, I think he's got everything. Uh, he's, he's one of those lads who, who will become a top-class player. I, I think that's undoubtedly what I see from him. But it's, it's difficult to say about him becoming that way at Everton, because I think that requires people in and around him to do the exact same to make him be able to do what he wants to do. Um, and then, of course, lately, more lately, I think McNeil as well. Um, I put him at, at the top of the list recently, scored some really crucial goals for this. He's actually our top goal scorer at the moment as well. So, yeah, they're, they're a good few, but I'd, I'd just about give it to, to Mikhailenko and you give me six months ago, I certainly wouldn't be putting him as the top twenty in the side. There's one guy I haven't even mentioned in um, in in what we were talking about there, and he, I say that with a smile. I think most fans say it with a smile because of what we initially saw, um, what we initially thought we were getting, and that's Beto. Now, most most fans of uh, most other clubs won't have seen what this guy's like. He reminded me of Paolo Onechop. Um, in some games, you would think, how's this guy a professional footballer? But in other games, you'd think, this guy's world-class because he can run around people. He's lightning quick and he's six foot four, six foot five. He's um Is it like having a daddy it... long legs in the team? That's what that's what oh, I always mate, thought yeah. one chop was like, yeah. Yeah, he'll he'll tackle himself. That, that, <laughs> you know, that that type of player, but he's slowly I mean, his attitude, the way he, the the 
the way he came in, um, he was talking about when he worked in KFC and all this sort of thing, uh, when he was doing the interview when he first came in, and we were like, why have we gone and paid, well, we're going to pay 30 million in some sort of probably five pound a week or whatever we've done to go and get him. And um, he's been forced to come in because Calvert-Lewin still not 100% fit. He hasn't been for well, well over a year now. Um, needs to come off, and he generally does on 60. This lad comes on, and he, obviously, as you can imagine, big guy. He's a he's a focal point of how you want to get out of your own half. Uh, somebody who you want to hand it up. But there's a different there's a different style from him. One that's quite rare because you don't often get big boys who who are particularly quick. But this lad is rapid. He's absolutely rapid, almost a little bit like Lukaku, but obviously nowhere as good as him in 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 finishing. And now now you look at him and think. Give him the ball, he's going to do something magic at some point, but probably awful at the rest of it. Um, so you know, he, he's going to start in, in one of the two, um, given how short they are apart in, in Spurs and City. I'd, I'd throw him in against City because I think that's something that you're not mostly won't have expected out of a forward all season long, to be honest with you. Could be it, could be completely different for your defenders to, to try and win against. Yeah. Um, let's talk about Goodison as well, because um, I, it feels like looking from the outside, it feels like the, the deduction has really uh, kind of ramped up the feeling inside Goodison. Now, listen, I'm I'm uh, I'm old enough to remember what Main Road was like when things got poisonous around there. Um, I, you know, hearing stories of what Goodison can get like in, and, um, in previous years about getting on the players' backs. Is the atmosphere good at the moment? The, the team's winning games. It feels like there's something to fight against, that sort of thing. Is, is it hard for opposing teams at Goodison these days? That's a, that's a really good question and hard one to answer, really. I, I don't think it's been like it previously was. Um, I'd even go back to... To Lampard, they even say Benitez because it was strangely as as big as you imagine. You want like you referred to Main Road there um, when you were able to get an atmosphere, particularly in those night games too. That's where you know everybody's on their toes, screaming all the way through the game, and you think there's no way anybody's going to score a goal against us. We play a style of football, and a, you know, a guy I was sitting next to said to me, "I'm not coming back here to watch Everton." So one all draw at home to Brighton, who've been a really good side until they've started losing games recently. They had about seventy five percent of possession, but Everton go one nil up and really shouldn't have lost the game. They they scored an equaliser in the last minute. That that to me epitomises what Dice is. But then I've got people next to me saying, "I'm not watching this. This is not what you want to see." From Everton, um, which is which is strange because the the whole dogs of war thing and Joe Royal, you know all about him as well, of course. Those days um, are what I I I sort of refer to what Dice is very much like. The way we win win games, you're not playing pretty football by any means whatsoever, but you're getting those results. I think there's a there's a feeling at Everton uh, amongst our fans at Goodison that you know. We should be a hell of a lot better given what's gone on. The ten point deduction has probably hit everybody in the wrong place. In the, you know, in, in, in the middle of the ball, really. Since before that, we signed so many players. The main issue for everybody was we've been just ridiculous with recruitment and, and signed so many poor players, and we could only sell them for a small percentage of what we bought them for. Um, that that made Goodison really angry, but it made Goodison what you want it to be with, with the way in which the uh, the games used to come by. Um, and, and now I, I still think it's in limbo. Um, starts to get back. I mean, you look at the last two games at home, aside from the, the quarterfinal there, Chelsea and Newcastle, we, we ripped them apart. 
And by ripping them apart, I, I think we actually played again, kept yeah. the ball on the floor. I must admit, um, I'm, I'm nervous about yeah. this being a night game, you know. Yeah, and, and that, that's a, I think you're right. I think that's a that's a very traditional Everton style. Um, that's like you know most most lads go in the game, go go and have a pint an hour before, and then you head to the ground, and everybody's everybody's ready for this. You know, everybody can't wait for the game to kick off, and everybody's singing the songs and whatnot. Um, nonetheless, we need to keep in our mind that it is against Manchester City. But yeah, you're right. I think I think that's the best night you're going to get at Goodison. Night game at Goodison. In my opinion, best time, best time to get a win, best time to play Manchester City if we're going to get anything. Yeah, um, let's talk about that then because we've got the charity back coming up. Um, let's. What, what, what do you, what do you see happening in this one? Because City are, are out of form, but obviously they're in the Club World Cup at the moment, so we, we don't yeah. really know what, what we'll get when they come back. Um, and, and Everton are in form. Um, are, are you fancying your chances for this one? Let's have a scoreline. Uh, strangely so, because I'm normally regarded as. Given all sorts of abuse for being a negative <laughs> fan, I think we'll get a draw from this. I really do. I think referring to what you said there about going to Goodison at night, uh, I think against the better sides, we when we tend to step up. That's why we're such an infuriating side. You know, we lost we lost two one at home to Luton earlier earlier in the season, and we're all sitting there thinking, well, if we won that three 0 then we'd be what. 11 points clear, even with a 10 point deduction from the bottom three. That's the kind of side we are. City, uh, we referred to there about the the crowd and things like that. We'll we'll be massively up for this. I think that what's ha- what's happened with you guys has astonished me um, in in recent weeks, recent games. Nonetheless, with Liverpool going up there at the moment, but Arsenal as well. It's um, and Aston Villa. It's really fascinating what's going on there in the top four or five. But yeah, I I, I think we can go get a draw. Um, in fact, I'm quite confident we get a draw. Strangely, at home to City. Because that's not the ever not the type of place you want to go to when you've been out and about all over the world playing games and you know club world cups and whatnot. I think I think it's going to be one all um, because we, we're used to playing against sides who have most of the ball. Um, we used to you know good sides and obviously they don't come any better than uh, than City. You know you the way in which you approach games as well which you know imagine being on the edge of the 18 yard box or you're just passing it around for fun Everton can handle that um, Everton are decent that, that's the one thing that I think we've done best this season and Dice will be relatively comfortable with that goes the other way um, set pieces you know you, you start somebody like Berto you, Carvalhoon may well start um, and you, you've got a couple of lads who I think Michalenko's going to be fit again Um Right side's a bit of an issue. I, I, I think we get crosses in, I think, in a much more physical way. I think we'll cause City some problems. So, yeah, I, I think we'll get a one-all draw. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. That was David Downey from the Blue Room. Um, Richard, this is probably the wrong time to be running into Everton, isn't it? Yeah, the wrong time for the Premier League charges derby. It's, um, <laughs> yeah, well, they've they've really picked up, haven't they? They, they look like they were picking up before they had um, a cause to really rally against. Uh, and they're, they're, I mean, if you think the state they were in when we went to Goodison Park towards the end of last season, um, and they, they look for all the world like they probably go down and, and carried that some of some of that into the start of this season and now all of a sudden you look at it and it's it's almost impossible to think of um of them being in a, a proper relegation scrap other than obviously they've got the um the, the points to make up for 
the deduction that they got. But even then, I mean, that might change on appeal anyway. And even then, um, it's not like it dropped them right to the bottom of the league, was it? So I think that that speaks to how much they've picked up. Um, I think it's obviously historically a ground that, that City used to really struggle at. The it, it is a ground where the fans can create a, a hell of an atmosphere and I think have been doing ever since that points deduction. Um, and yeah, I'd be, I'd be lying if I said it was a game I was completely confident about. It doesn't... Mm. It's not the game that you want when you're out of form yourself. If City were were in top form, then I'd I'd back them to deal with all of those factors. Yeah. Bring on all comers, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. But now it's um, it, I I don't have that same level of confidence. To be fair, yeah. We talked earlier Dan about the Club World Cup and and kind of it being a nice distraction at this stage when the form has been as it is. Um, let's say things go well on Friday night. They've won that and they've they've put in a decent performance. Does that blow the cobwebs and and do they get back to what they used to be? Is it is it a help in resetting mm. where things need to be? I don't know. I, I can't imagine it will have much bearing on anything. If anything, it might create more cobwebs. <laughs> I th- you know, we, we knew always going into the season where it was going to fall in, in the season. And I, I think it's it has to be looked at as a nice novelty, but one that might ultimately not be very good for us. A bit like, I don't know, Bailey's this time of year or something. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm dreading this trip to Goodison as well. Like Richard said, I think they're going to be extra fired up to beat us since we're, you know, somehow a, a villain in there season-long revenge um, mission and yeah we, you know, we should I, be we should be kindred spirits shouldn't we <laughs> we should be really yeah we should be hands across the m62 and all yeah. that but it's not it's not going to be like that is it really and um yeah i've got a feeling it could be a really really tough watch especially if we're still a bit jet-lagged coming back from saudi arabia yeah um after the recent run dan what do you want to see from them at goodison well to paraphrase David Moyes famously being paraphrased, I think we must improve in a number of areas, including passing, <laughs> creating chances and defending. Right, fair enough. Does so, that answer your question? Yeah, yeah. It kind of gives me an idea of where you're at at the minute as well with uh, with how you're feeling about City. Yeah, I mean, obviously they've got they've got to defend better than they have been. They've got to keep the ball better. They've got to create chances. They've got to take chances. They've got to hope and they've got to pray. I think it's I think it's that really. I think it's going to be a really hard game. Yeah, um, it's it's ultimately a, a, is it a case, Richard, of, of concentration for ninety minutes because you cut out individual errors. You put in a performance like Palace, but you cut out the individual errors. You probably win. I don't know. Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, it's always like the 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 most useless thing to say, really, but that is sort of like permanently true of City that. If City play their best against anybody and don't make mistakes, then they'll beat anybody, won't they? Because that's the quality that they've got. And um, and, and Everton, no matter how informed they are, the same is true of this game. If City go there and suddenly are back to their very, very best, they're not making individual mistakes, then that leaves Everton with a lot less room to do anything because City can control a game against anyone. Um, and so, yeah, like I, I'd really like to see them cut out the individual mistakes and be able to... Um, to retain the ball in the way that we are that we are used to, and then, and then I'm pretty confident that they'd win. But it's you know if if Harland's fit, it's helpful if he doesn't miss open nets as well because you win a few <laughs> more games if he doesn't do that. Most of the time he doesn't do that. Most of the time he's um, he's at least getting them on target. But so yeah, I, I want them to be at the best, and that will be enough. But I think maybe the way things have been the last six Premier League games, um, there's probably 
a few bumps in the road in individual games yet. And maybe we need to go through this kind of game where actually it is going to be tricky and there's probably going to be some dicey moments. But if you see it through and come out with a narrow win, then maybe in the long run, that's more helpful than going out and, and winning at a canter because you remind yourself that you can grind it out. And that feels like a bit more of what City need at the moment. That said, I, uh, I won't turn my nose up at a four or five nil either. But. <laughs> yeah, I, I just wondered what Guardiola would say in the dressing room to get them to stop making mistakes. He like, like going around the, the dressing room, going Harland, just like just score the goals. You know, stop stop <laughs> giving the ball away. Like 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 how do you how do you just make them play better? I don't know. It's uh, it's probably why he's in the dugout and I'm not. Um, uh, Dan Richard mentioned the atmosphere at Goodison. Um, there's almost a sense of that they need to go there and quieten the crowd because um, just as at the Premier League charge, well, the deduction for um, for Everton has really uh, sort of. Ga- I, I don't know if it's galvanised them in favour of the team or against the Premier League. I've not decided yet, um, but it, it feels very much like Luton that they've got to kill, like keep the ball, kill the kill the atmosphere to start with. Yeah, and we we have been quite good at doing that over the years. You know, sort of grinding games, grinding teams into submission and, and making games quite boring sometimes. And I think that's going to be quite key here. If if, if we can do that, then we, we've got a chance. I feel like as well, you know, sympathy is always in short supply when City are doing badly, isn't it? You know, we never we never really get um, the sort of, you know, any anybody making excuses for us or anything like that. I kind of feel like we do, we do a little bit of luck or just something else intangible that sees a bit of a change in fortunes. I don't think we're playing that badly. I don't think we're doing a lot wrong. and We don't usually make as many mistakes. So, you know, I think if we can concentrate, tighten up a bit, hope that the um, we get the rub of the green, then we should be all right. And I think overall, for what's, you know, the rest of the season, the second half of the season, it, it's not what does City have to do to change, but can they change? Like, yeah. are they capable enough of doing it this season? Have they got the depth and the energy to keep winning trophies? Are they going to be better than, than Arsenal and Liverpool? I really hope so. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, we'll uh, we'll find out over the next few weeks, I guess. Um, Ali Fogg correctly predicted the three 0 win against uh, URA Red Diamonds uh, somehow without even knowing the opposition at the time. Make of that what you will. Maybe <laughs> blind luck is a good factor here. Either way, we're now on five hundred and fifty quid raised for the charity bet. The money is going to the Man City Fans Food Bank Support Group. They're helping the Trussell Trust and Manchester Central Food Bank tackle poverty in Manchester. William Hill is giving us three ten pound correct score singles on City's games. Uh, we heard earlier on uh, for the Fluminense game. That that uh, Fred has gone for an entertaining 4-2 win uh, for City. That's 45-1 to 1 and £450 if he's Oof. right, so I hope he is. Uh, Dan, what are you having for this? 2-1 uh, to City. 2-1 City is 8-1 and 80 quid. Richard? Uh, I'm saying 3-1, David. 3-1 uh, is 10-1 to 1 and £100. And then uh, David Downey went for one all at Goodison Park, which is 7-1 to 1 and 70 quid. Uh, Richard, what are you having for this? I'll go 2-0 City. 2-0 City is 15-2 to two and £75. And Dan? For what I think is the first time ever on the podcast, I'm predicting City to lose one more. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, when you sent that over, I was like, right, that's where he is, is he? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Rattled. Yeah. So 1-0 uh, Everton is 16-1 to one and £160 if you are right. Remember, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more on gambling responsibly, take a look at begambleaware.org. And that's the end of today's Blue Moon podcast. Thank you very much for listening. And thanks also to my guests for this one, Richard Burns. Thank you very much. And Dan Burke. Thanks a lot. Merry Christmas, everybody. Season's greetings, everybody. Um, it is the Christmas quiz up next, so join a load of us on Christmas Day for some city-related mayhem. We'll then review whatever happens at Goodison next week. See you then. That was the Blue Moon Podcast. 
please give the show a rating and a review where you can. And don't forget, you can listen without the ads by signing up to our Patreon. You'll also get an extra episode each Monday. Here's a clip of this week's. I had to watch this at my granny and granddad's house. Um, I wasn't allowed to watch it downstairs because nobody else in the house wanted to watch football. Um, <laughs> anyone who's interested in football had gone to the pub. So I watched it upstairs on a tiny 14-inch portable TV. It was just an app. The elation that I felt from the Rossler chip to then just the absolute... The, the injustice. The absolute, it's the injustice, the, the, isn't the, it? The, yeah. It, it was a fucking disgrace. Like I, I, even, even as a kid, I just felt like... It, that feeling now, just talking about it, has just come back to me and it's just burned into my chest. And <laughs> I can feel my face getting red now about it. Let's have a positive memory from the game because uh, Rosler's goal, what was your reaction as soon as like he's going clean through, he's one-on-one with Schmeichel. Like, you can't be expecting him to do what he did. Uh, I screamed I screamed the house down um, and I remember uh, adults coming upstairs, like my aunties and stuff. Are you all right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 telling me off, telling me that my younger cousins were, like, you know, asleep and, st- <laughs> <laughs> and, and, st- and stuff like that. But, yeah, I just went absolutely berserk and, yeah, I just got told off. You can listen to more of that at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. And join us again next time for another episode.